where there was going to be a public speaker, but he has now withdrawn because he's got business commitments and cannot make it. So when we start, which will be any moment now, we'll go straight into the agenda, which is open to the public and the press. And I would remind you that there is no AOB. I won't take any AOB. So apologies for absence and declaration of interest. We have no apologies, Chair. Do you, do you want me to call the Register, Chair? I think so, yes, if we could. OK, okay. Please, please indicate you're present when I call your name. Councillor Bagnall? Present. Councillor Driscoll? Present. Councillor Foley? Present. Councillor Isham? Present. <coughs> Jones? Present. Councillor Khan? Present. Councillor Luck? Present. Councillor Oliver? Present. And Councillor De Vries? Present. Thank you, Chair. Okay, can we just record apologies from the Chief Executives on leave? It's unfortunate because of item 7, but there will be. And uh, could I declare an interest non pecuniary in item 7 in that I'm the Ward Councillor for Devon and Whitby? Right. We'll then move, move on. The minutes of the previous meeting, they have been um, distributed and issued. Is there any corrections needed? I'm not sure, Adrian, if you had you wanted to add, add something. Yes, yes, please, Chair. Thank you. On uh, item GAT 11, minute GAT 11, at the top of page 5, the third paragraph where Councillor Bagnall asked who audited the internal auditor, BDO asked us just to correct the record that is recorded there. And uh, I'll read what they've asked us to put, which is, uh, uh, we do not audit the internal auditors. We may occasionally seek to place reliance on certain areas, but I don't think we do rely on systems work and we do not audit their arrangements or compliance with internal audit standards. We certainly provide no mandated feedback, nor is there any reference in any of our opinions. Internal audit should be subject to periodic external peer review of their compliance with internal audit standards. The external audit would not do that. Thank you, Chair. Okay, right, is that accepted? On the, accepting on the basis that there's no other corrections, I will, will accept the minutes and move on to the next item, which is... Internal audit, future services provision. You've got the paper there. And the recommendations that we note the report. I believe, Adrian, can you bring us up to date where we are on the on this? It's quite clear. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. This followed on from... Uh, the announcement of the last GAP meeting that uh, our internal audit manager had tendered her resignation as she was retiring. Um, I said I would bring you an update on where we are at with a replacement. Um, our current internal audit manager leaves on the 6th of November, so we, we need to put some interrelations in place. We have uh, explored options and we could recruit an article like. It is very difficult for us to recruit that sort of role and takes a period of time, so we need to put in place an interim arrangement anyway. 
but I think our preferred way forward is some form of partnership. And we have gone out to Essex colleagues with that request for anybody interested in working with us. And we've had three interested parties come forward, and we have now met with all of them. So that is Broxbourne uh, Harlow and Epic Partnership, which is a true partnership that starts to come out of transfers to Broxbourne and they run the service. Basildon and Rochford, Basildon provide a service to the Rochford. And Johnson City Council, who are interested in forming some of the partnerships. So we've got sort of three models there, which is which is a nice place to be in. So we have had discussions with them all, and we've asked for proposals from them in writing. I've now had all that. I'm busy evaluating that. It is certain that we will not be entering into a partnership before the 6th of November. We will be looking at an interim management arrangement to enable us to get through the market
Sorry, excuse me, Chair. Sorry, I've got a broadcast error. Oh, it's it's come back up, but it went just for a couple of minutes. But it's now okay. back up. So we're all right now. Yeah, right? yeah, it's all up again. Sorry, apologies. Don't worry. Right, now, this is a report written by, with the author is Richard Horty. And there's no recommendations. This is an information report. Richard, uh, are you there? I am here, Chair. And is there anything you'd like to add to your report? Um, well, just a couple of things. <clears throat> First of all, the report here, just to give uh, members an idea of some of the issues that the authority may face um, with regard to the end of the transition period. Uh, it was requested by the committee at the last meeting. Um, uh, Ros Millership is here on the call because she is the council's lead officer for... EU exit and knows far more about this subject than I do. So uh, any questions, probably best directed at Ros. Um, she would also, I think, probably tell you about the uh, officer group that she chairs that's working through some of the uh, particular risks that have been highlighted um, with regards to the end of the transition period. Some of those are mentioned in the report, but there are some other things that, um, that didn't make it into the report that are of, um, are of note anyway. So I'll hand over to Ros to see if there's anything that she wants to add at this stage. Thank you. There. Um, yeah, hello everyone. Yeah, there's not an, an awful lot additional things to add to the report. Um, we have got an officer, an internal officer group. It's come mainly under me because I have the airport under me, and most of the impact is is going to be on um, goods coming into the airport. So we've looked um, at a lot of things that are in the report. So we've looked at um, data protection procurement. Um, I don't think we mentioned fuel shortages and potential fuel shortages in the report. So we have looked at that with cured some tanks in case we need to get some oil in for the um, refuse trucks and things like that. Um, just have a look what else. Um, uh, another thing that perhaps hasn't made it into the report, we've looked at potential labour shortages in the district because there's a large number of non-UK EU staff employed by local businesses, particularly at Stansted Airport. Um, probably not such an issue now because of COVID. Um, also, when we've been working with a lot of local businesses just to make sure that they're ready for EU exit. Um, Can I ask, do you have enough staff to do, as you see it at the moment, do you have enough staff to, to do what you think you might have to do? Um, yes, we've, we've, we're okay at the moment. Um, we've put a bid in for funding with the government um, in case we need more staff on the border post. Um, if the software doesn't, we have to get some software, the government are um, working on new software for the border post. If that isn't forthcoming, um, then we will need help there. So we have put in a bid um, for funding to to build up that airport team. Okay, thank you. I open it up to all members. Then we'd like to comment on on the report either to Roz or to Richard. Do I see any hands up? Not that I'm aware of. Councillor Luck. Oh, sorry, Councillor Bagnall. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Adrian. Um, 
Yeah, Ros, just a question for me. When I was reading through the report, they talk about the food-based consignments, the animal food-based consignments that come through the airport, and I think there was talk of 120 a year. I might have got that wrong, but uh, it looked like there, were, there wasn't a lot, but it didn't look like we had many staff. So my question was going to be, how many, how many checks do we take undertake at the moment on any food consignments that come through that area? They're all, they're all checked. All, all the documentation is checked. At the moment, that's quite easy because we can do it through the European Union computerised system, which is Traces. Um, so, and then we do a sort of about a ten percent check, a physical check of. of that, that was my question, Ros. Was more about the physical check because obviously, uh, if, if we exit the EU, that becomes more more pertinent. The fact that we. Are, have the ability to undertake those physical checks. So are you saying that we only do 10% now? Um, at the moment we do, because all the paperwork matches, so you don't need to physically go out there and have a look. If the paperwork doesn't match, we, we do a certain amount of about 10% checks, but also the paperwork doesn't match, we'll go out and check. I mean, as an example, we had a, um, Adrian will know, we had a consignment that, um, well, public consignments now that have come through via the EU, European Union, but it's they, the flight originated from Ghana, and we couldn't get the paperwork to match, so we went out there to check. That was back in August, and yeah, the cargo would be calling, so we had to destroy the whole whole lot. It, it would have been a, a public health risk to 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 this country, so which oh. caused, it was a huge amount of work because we had to have it destroyed in such a way that it didn't cause problems. So. Do we have the funding for that sort of activity where we might have to destroy stock? Um, well, we have to we have to find the funding originally, initially, and then we have to try and get it reimbursed. Okay. Uh, I did have one more question, which was around the risk impact assessment. In the report, uh, it, it shows the impact assessment, but it doesn't really give any any detail of what the impact might be. And I wondered if there was anything more we could do to uh, advise what likely impacts there will be. Because we just say potential for disruption, but we don't actually say how and where and who. So I just wondered if there was more information. I'll, I'll, I'll just jump in there before before Ros answers. That was partly me typing from a position of slight ignorance, I have to confess. Um, uh, but also, it's, it's partly because um, we just don't know some of the impacts will be because we don't know what the end of the transition period will look like. Okay. Well, we've, we've got another officer group meeting coming up in a couple of weeks' time, so we can try and firm up on those risks. I think the risk, you know, the flights that come in, if we're not able to do the, we're not going to have the documentation to do the checks, that's going to be a bigger risk, and that will take up resources. So it sounds to me like there are, obviously there should be a table of risks uh, and you've already called out probably two or three items that could be the specific detail and some of those will have a, a greater impact or a lesser impact and some of those have probably got a greater or lesser likelihood of happening as well. Okay, thank you. Uh, Councillor Luck, I think you were indicating you want to speak. Yes, please, Chair. Um, very well. The comment is that there's a known risk in that there's currently national shortage of environmental health officers, food inspection, competent officers. Um, how long is the training uh, for these positions and could we consider 
training in-house if they're not out there? Rose, would you like to come back? Um, the training is, is, is very long. I think that's why there's a shortage, because it's quite a long route to follow an environmental health officer. And that's something I think government are looking at at the moment to see if they can fast track people. But there is a shortage. Um, and we don't have, we, we've lost, we've, we recently lost two very qualified environmental health officers. So we are, we are short of qualified staff at the moment. And was there any common reason for the loss of those two? Um, no, 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 no they, they, they just wanted um, a change, so, yeah. Circumstances? Yeah, circumstances. Thank you. Okay, is, is there nobody else? Is there anybody else? Apparently not. We'll move on to... Thank you, Ros. Thank okay. you very much. Okay, thank you. Nice to see you all. Bye. Right. Item five on the agenda, which is, it's under the name of our chief executive, but she's on holiday, so I presume either Richard or Adrian will be dealing with it. There, this is a report from the local government ombudsman, and it's their usual letter. We get a letter every year. And the recommendation is that we note the contents of the report and the position with regards to the complaints and compliments for the year ended 31st March 20. Um, Richard or Agent, would you like, is there anything you would like to add to this? Um, I'll, I'll take this one just to say the, um, I don't know if members will recall, but this time last year the Chief Executive did flag up that there were two cases um, that would likely appear in this year's report and uh, they duly have done so there are the two cases in which council was found at fault and then um, four further complaints to the ombudsman in 2019-20 none of which were um, con it was considered necessary for the ombudsman to investigate so they were all closed by the ombudsman Fine um, Is there any comments on this? Are we happy with the report? in that uh, the, the total cost seems to be about £7,000 to us and there were the four cases were dropped. But then if one looks at the complaints paper on Appendix B, I know that there are 31 complaints quarter 1, 36 complaints quarter 2, 19 quarter 3, 20 in quarter 4, which is a good way going down. Is there any, anything we should note about those? Um, just to say that obviously that's the number of complaints rather than the number that were upheld. I think there were 16 complaints upheld last year. Um, there's no particular pattern to these. They're generally, they were generally minor service failures such as issues with bins, either bin deliveries or bins being missed or bins not being collected when they should have done. Um, lack of communication on some planning applications, I think, in a couple of cases. There's no particular patterns, but we do review these at the corporate management team quarterly, and um, colleagues do take these seriously and take them away to um, services and service managers to discuss to um, see what can be done to improve things. Okay. Any comments for anybody? If not, that's a hand. Oh, Councillor Jones and Councillor Bagnall. Councillor Bagnall. Thank you, Chair. Uh, just a slight challenge to Richard. If, if members look at page 29 of the report, they'll see the table, and there's quite clearly a pattern there in terms of the amount of 
complaints in the planning area. So I, I wondered if there was a, a pattern within planning where there were specific complaints uh, for any particular reason. But there does seem to be rather a lot of complaints against planning uh, and uh, not against other areas. Any comment, Richard? Well, it's, it's possibly because planning is one of those areas where there are frequently people who are unhappy with the decision, uh, which can lead to a complaint. Now, the question is whether those complaints are because something has gone wrong within the council, whether it is they're not, um, not, not satisfied with the result. Now, um, I think it's important to look at the number of complaints that were um, upheld rather than the number of complaints that were received. Now, of those, I've got the list here. There were three out of the six in quarter one were planning related. Two of them related to a delay in determining a planning application. And the other, the other related to a planning application being refused. Would it, would it be helpful to provide members with more detail rather than just the numbers? Because then we could, we could probably work that out ourselves and not... Ask. Yeah, I mean, I've got... Yeah, so I, in advance of this meeting, I've got a breakdown of what those upheld complaints were. And I don't think there would be a problem with including that information in... No, it's anonymized information. There'd be no problem in including that in the reporting. So, subsequently, it's that's absolutely it's fine. It's probably worth mentioning as well that uh, 95% of that total cost share of the complaints that were upheld were for the one complaint where I think it was curtilage of a listed building error. That's, that's right, yeah. Yes. yeah. Okay, thank you. Okay, if there are no other questions, we'll move on to I think Councillor Jones had his hand up. Oh, sorry, Councillor Jones, I apologise. Thank you, Chair. Um, again, this is a question probably for Richard. Just an observation, obviously, the, the nice pretty pictures on page 27 of the report. Um, you've got 100% of complaints were investigated, were upheld. Um, however, uh, obviously, the pat on the back would go to the Council, that out to those 100% upheld, uh, the Council who would seem have successfully implemented um, the recommendations. So, you know, it's a shame that uh, complaints have to go as far as the opportunity to be before they are dealt with. Um, but obviously the system is there for that very reason in case it can't be dealt with uh, in the normal in-house complaints procedures. So, um, it's like a, a, both a, a well done and a not so well done. Um, one for the well done is obviously implementing all those things the Ombudsman have said, and the Ombudsman is happy. Um, but to really to go to two complaints to be actually uh, upheld in the first place, um, is, is, I wouldn't say it's unusual with an ombudsman, but um, I've been through an ombudsman process myself, so I know what it's like. Uh, and normally they are they are pretty good at through. So, um, so yes, yeah, so it's a 50-50, a well done, and I think we could do better. Yep. We can and resolve these complaints before we get to the ombudsman. Thank you. Right, thank you. If there's nobody else, I can't see anybody, any hands up. Chris, is there anybody hands up? Gibson, are there any hands up? No. No, Chair. Uh, no, okay. None at all. Okay. We'll move on then to the next item, which is the Community Governance Review 2021. This is a report by Phil Hardy. And this is to note the Terms of, to approve the terms of reference and the timetable of district-wide community governance review of the parishes as set out in Appendix A. This is to include the scheduling of an extraordinary meeting of a committee if necessary to enable the review to be concluded before publication of the revised register of electors to December the 21. 
see this is really just setting out a timetable for, for reviewing, although there we are. Is any comments on this? Are we happy with the timetable? Chair, Phil Hardy is in the room. If you want to... In the room? I'm oh, sorry, I can't. Yeah. Phil Hardy is available if you wish him to uh, summarise things. It, uh, yes, could he summarise where we are? I hadn't realised he was with us, I apologise. That's, that's fine, Chair. Good, good, good evening, um, Chair. Good evening, uh, Members. Um, just very briefly, you, you summarised it nicely there already, uh, Chair, on that, that it is a... Um, it's a formal statutory timetable, so there is a consultation period set out within the legislation. And it's an opportunity, I would just say, for all the parishes to have their say. It's a very much a bottom-up approach for the parishes and the parishioners and the parish council themselves to review their governance arrangements, whether it's to ward or de-ward part of their parish, to reduce the number of members or increase the numbers of members to reflect housing development or realign the boundaries. So it's an opportunity which will go to all the parishes next year, should you wish to pursue this, which did initially start over seven years ago, but there was minor changes done prior to the 2019 um, parish elections of last year. Um, but this is to conduct a full um, review of all the parish areas. Okay. Fine, you'll see that there are sort of already people starting to want some changes in, in, the, in the Chesterford and also in Crizzles to remove the council, remove the number of councils. <laughs> Is there any comments on this? If not, as a hand, the council of Angle. Thank you, Chair. I'm not sure I was first, but uh, I'm happy to defer to first. Who else wants to speak? Uh, oh, you go first, Council Bagel. Councilor Khan is also showing, Chair. Right, uh, I'll take just him around the timetable, so I notice in the timetable, obviously, that we've got um, the agreement of terms of reference and timetable. So that's that's today. Um, and, but we don't actually do anything until the 1st of June 2021. Is there an opportunity to do something earlier? Chair, if I could just answer, answer that, that question. Um, yes, we've already started initial bits of just flagging up with the parishes, the local parish, the liaison um, forum was a, was a meeting recently I attended with the chief executive where we flagged up the report would be coming to yourselves about condu conducting this review, should you so agree to it. Um, so the parish has already raised that and one or two of them, as you can see in the report, already expressed interests of wanting some changes anyway. So um, what I would be intending to do is, is pass some information, the guidance to the parishes this side of Christmas um, so they can flag up for future meetings and start the ball rolling, start dis discussing and thinking, do they want any changes of the parish council? Um, so we'll be passing some information to them on those sort of comments I said about whether they want to increase, decrease, change the boundary, etc. Because um, when it comes to the actual timetable, it's fairly tight, so they need to uh, have thought about things beforehand. All right, lovely. Thank you. Okay. Councillor Carl? Yeah, my, my question just been answered, so I, I should roll my hand. Thank you. Is there anybody else? <laughs> if not, we accept the report. Uh, Councillor Foley had his hand up. Oh, sorry. Sorry, no, I came in a bit late, so I apologise. Um, just a, a question that's come back from one of my parish parishes um, and this might be a good time to sort of raise it and, and I don't expect any 
immediate answer. But the changing nature of, partly because of the pandemic, but the, they feel that the changing nature of how people might be in the future wanting to vote in numbers, for instance, through postal voting. Um, I know uh, the elections for the county next year might want to be affected probably by that because things are already set in motion. But um, the, the, if there is a trend, which I think might well be because we're all doing things differently, that people want to um, vote by post or vote in a different way in the future, has 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 that been taken into account in some of the planning that's being done? Chair, yeah, if we could just answer that. Um, obviously, that doesn't actually relate to no, the report today on that, but um, I'm happy if the chair is happy for me to sort of comment on that. Please do. Sorry, I think I have muted myself. Right. Um, yeah, um, yesterday we posted to us, obviously we're busy election planning already for the, for the May elections next year, so they are um, the, the clear guidance we're getting from the Electoral Commission and the government is that the elections will go ahead on the 6th of May next year. That's the County Council and the Police Fire Fund Commission and the number of by-elections, including two district wards, as you're well aware. Um, Post-voting is always an important part of an election. I think post-votes account for in this area about, um, sorry, I think we're now about 15 to 20% of of voters actually vote by post. Um, there is general view that post voting will increase um, for next year. It does, depending on the type of election, increase more. Obviously, for a parliamentary election or for the that referendum in 2016, sort of big surge of post votes for those elections, it's how the electorate view how important, in inverted commas, they feel that poll is. But we would expect an increase, and especially to do with people who might be more elderly and, and vulnerable or, or, or shielding and that type of thing. So uh, we, we will be doing some you know, publicity and some social media campaigns in the new year, pushing people to say, have you thought about a post vote if you don't already have one? Don't leave it to the last minute. You know, apply now. So we'll be pushing, pushing some sort of key messages like that uh, next year. But there's always an opportunity every year for people to have a post vote. As you know, there's information on poll cards which go out you know, a, good, a, good, a good month before the actual um, poll takes place. Um, so we are aware of the implications of postal voting and that will be an increasing trend on that. And the, the, the government has made it very clear there's no intention for these elections to be all postal ballots. Um, but there is an option. There might be some minor tweaks to do with absent voting on the, on the proxy where like emergency proxy provisions... For example, if you were shielding or you suddenly went into a different tier, whatever it might be, was someone was planning on going out to poll, poll the next day and, that, and they couldn't get out because they've come into contact with someone and they're told they can't leave the house. So there's some, there is some minor tweaks in the legislation plan for that. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Does that help you, Councillor Bailey? Yeah, it, it does. Thank you. Fine. If there's nobody else in the Thank you, Mr. Hardy. Thank you, Phil, for that, and thank you for your attention. You're, you're, you're welcome, Chairman. Thanks very much. I, shall, I, shall I, leave think, I think, Chair, just for the record, we should actually just approve it, because um, it was a request to approve. Right. Is there anybody who does not wish to approve it? And I assume that then this is a unanimous vote for... 
well. Yep, yeah. thumbs up all around. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now we move on to item seven. The Armed Forces Covenant Trust Grant in respect of Debden Village Hall. This is the report written by Dawn French, our Chief Executive. It's unfortunate she's not here tonight to speak to this because obviously she's had a lot of person to do with this personally. Um, I know that Councillor Carnival wants to speak, and I know that Councillor Lock, Lock will wish to speak as well. But Adrian, would you like to open, open it up for us as Dawn is not here? Yes, I'll do my best, Chairman. Obviously, um, it is unfortunate that Dawn isn't available tonight because um, she has had the most to do with this, but um, we will do our best to provide answers to questions if they're not in the report themselves. We won't really necessarily to do a written reply to all members afterwards if we can't answer them. But we postponed this item until she was available. Pardon? Would it, would it be better if we postponed this item until she was available? Well, I, I think clearly that's, uh, that's an option for members or we can see where we go, I suppose, and see um, if we can answer satisfactory to members, um, which may be the best way forward. Um, let's, so let's, I would suggest, Chair, that we, we push on and see how many questions I can't answer. Right, okay. So this, this came to the request from members at the last meeting. Uh, I think it was Councillor Khan who specifically requested a report from the Chief Executive on the actions around the grant for the Devon Village Hall. Um, and the Chief Executive has prepared the report in front of you, giving the history. Uh, unfortunately, this does go back a number of years, about five years, and actually precedes Dawn. Um, so the initial signing of the application and the approval of the grant and everything was actually done by John Mitchell, the previous Chief Executive. But I think Dawn has set out in the report the process as we've had it, because it, it was specifically around the grant money and the fact that the grant money has been paid over to the village trust um, when in actual fact it should not have been. Uh, so the details are set out there and I think it's probably easier if I try and do my best answer questions um, if there are any.
in this particular uh, paper that you produced. And I think it's quite shocking that we have sent money out to an organisation, an entity, a group, um, and we have not followed due process. Now, it's fine to say, well, it was on somebody else's watch, it's got nothing to do with me, but that is highly inappropriate. Actually, we need to take responsibility, and people need to take responsibility for their actions, including those that went before them. And I, I've got a number of questions here, which I think, and I do believe that the chair is right, actually, that we should hold, uh, I would go one further, we should uh, have an extraordinary meeting of this particular committee on this agenda item alone, because I'm concerned that there are a number of things at play here that this committee is not aware of, and if they are aware of it, we'll take some serious action. So firstly, when did this happen, Adrian? When did the Chief Executive find out about this? That's the first question. Secondly, when were you informed as a Section 15 officer, Section 151 officer, of this particular issue? So that's the first batch of my two uh, questions I have. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I can't answer precisely for when Dawn found out about this. I think the nearest I can advise members is paragraph 10, which gives uh, a bit of an update about things that happened in early 2017, uh, around when the council resumed its interest, which I believe was Dawn's resumed interest because there were some issues with it. And then paragraph 11, which says, when concerns emerged about the progress of the project referred to in paragraph 10 above, the council could have sought repayment of the grant. Now, I can't say that the start of 11 means in early 2017, mid-2017, end of 2017, but I, I, I would presume, and it may be an incorrect presumption, that it was sometime in 2017 that the GPT became aware that the grant had been paid erroneously. As to when I became aware, in February 2020, so February of this year, I was made aware because at that stage the, the project had, I understand, reached a position where it was likely that the Army Covenant would ask for the money back. And under the accounting rules, a contingent liability needs to go in where it is reasonably certain that an action will happen and we can quantify the amount of money. So the contingent liability at that, at that stage I decided to put in because I was made aware that there was a more than reasonable chance that the money would be requested to be repaid and that we had that liability because the grant was paid for us in the first place. Uh, it need, obviously it is with the village called trust and it would be up to us to recover it. So the reason for the contingent liability was in case we could not recover it for some reason. And I should say the the requirements at the time, and obviously things moved on and there was uh, more time given, but the requirement at the time uh, was for the grant minus reasonable expenses to be repaid. So not the whole grant, but our contingent liability talks about the whole grant because, again, at that stage, we didn't know what expenses had been paid out. Do we know through an audit trial whether the Army have actually asked UDC to pay the money back? It's not the army, it is the, um, let me get that correct, sir. Right. Um, it is the Armed Forces Covenant Fund Trust. Sorry, I believe, I believe they did. It's been, it's been a bit protracted, 
I believe they did request the money back originally, and then there was some, some extensions granted. Uh, the latest extension was granted, I think, in June. Um, so, uh,
Our auditors BDO have received information that they say is relevant to their consideration of the annual governance statement and arrangements for use of resources. Until this matter is resolved, BDO is unable to issue their opinion on the counts, as the opinion includes the annual governance statement. The deadline for signing off is 30th of November, and we're still working towards meeting that date, which is why we've moved the committee date from the 10th of November to the 30th. Unfortunately, I'm not able to give you any more information or answer any questions relating to this matter. Right, Chair, if I may, um, I'm not asking for, I mean, in the interest of openness and transparency and all of us conducting good governance, I'm not asking for information about the detail of the investigation. Uh, all I need to know, and I think this committee should know, the full extent of why we are not being able to sign our accounts off. You've made a statement, Adrian. I would just ask you, is that investigation being conducted internally by UDC? or is it being conducted by an external authority? That's not asking you details of the investigation, it's asking you which body uh, is undertaking that investigation. And secondly, has the auditor received professional advice um, on this subject uh, uh, to find where we are at now? On the first one, as I say, I'm not at liberty at the moment to disclose any further than I've said. On the second point, the auditor has taken advice from uh, appropriate lawyers and um, he has also then gone to the National Audit Office right. who have confirmed uh, the position that he's currently taking. Right. Okay. Thank you, Adrian. That's very helpful. Thank you. We are drifting away from the topic of this item, which is the loan to or grant to Debden Village Hall Committee. I hope you get that right. Is there anything else you want to... I, we, I don't want to... I don't think we should drift any further on to the accounts. They'll be dealt with on the 30th of November. Is there anything you want to further say on the this grant itself? You've got Councillor McNall and Councillor Jones. I Jones, said I'm sort of luck first. It's in his ward. Sorry. Chair, Chair, if I may just comment. Sure. Um, I, I would like to make a proposal. Yeah. I propose that the item be carried over to the meeting on the 30th of November. Do you have a seconder of that? I'm waiting to see. Yeah.
if they decided it was not the case, they would write to this council requesting back, uh, as I said to Councillor Khan before, the, the amount of money of the grant minus reasonable expenses. It would there be our responsibility to pay that money back? Now, clearly, we would go to the trust to ask for the money back and we would ask for proof of what the reasonable expenses is so that we could then pass those on to the, the Covenant Trust to justify why they're not getting the full 236400 back. So that's the process that would happen. Um, whether it's going to be built or not, it, it, it actually, I, I suppose, not the purpose of this report that Councillor Khan asked for. He, he, this is about process rather than the actual development itself. And, I, and I'm not involved in the control itself. I suspect Councillor Luck will give you a better feel of what the progress is in that project. But this is more about Councillor Khan's request of process than the actual project. Yeah, can I just come back on that? Uh, yes, that's good. This is a subject and I read one out because of uh, one of the outside groups I do sit on. Um, obviously, the, um, the Armed Forces uh, Covenant has certain checks and balances, i.e. they give money out and by a certain time they would expect a certain amount of progress um, and, and therefore, based on the fact that the community benefits from the money that was given out. Um, are we, when it comes to the, the discussions with the armed forces coming to land us, uh, are we at that stage where they are starting to really consider pulling this money back because the, um, the village hall, I presume, hasn't been built? I don't think it has been built, it hasn't been refurbished anymore. So, it, it, as a betting man, and so this is kind of a, uh, I don't want to put you in a position here, but would you expect them to be asking for the money back now? Because I, I presume I would be, because it's, I think it's fallen well foul of the um, of the kind of stipulations they place when they give them the grant. So. Um, have they been expressing the request for the money back? Yes, they did so in February, which is why Dawn then made me aware of it, so that we put a contingent liability in our accounts, because the probability had increased significantly from where it was at. There was then time at board, and we've had regular reports from um, Devon Parish Council uh, on where they are at. The latest of those has been submitted to um, the Army Covenant Fund, and um, I think it, it's fair, fair to say I am. Well, I met with the chief executive, chief executive of the yesterday and they are considering their response to the latest position statement that the parish have put forward. So I think that you know, the, the original extension was given to the 30th of September to make, excuse me while I just get the correct term which has been used, there's two different versions of the correct of the term that have been used. So the covenants talk about by 30th of September there must be substantial and irretrievable progress on site. And they've also used the term substantial and irremediable progress on site, which is one of the same thing, I think. But um, so, yes, clearly they are concerned that five years down the line there are things, things still waiting to happen. But um, so they, they regularly review their position and they'll, they'll come back to us in the next week and tell us what their view is. I think our problem here is, is Adrian is, is, is not his baby, as it were. And unfortunately, he's having to 
answer all the questions which should be being answered by our chief executive. Now, this is why I, I put at the start of the meeting the thought that we might defer this item into the, the next meeting of the council. I take Councillor Khan's view, comment that we could still use the 10th of November, but I think we're going to have too many meetings of this committee. I think we could probably do it on the 30th of November. But Councillor Luck, you'll be very patient and wait, waiting because it is in your patch. We also have Councillor Foley. And can Councillor Foley. now uh, to tell you a little bit about what I know. Um, I was responsible for um, initiating the application to the grant and have followed it through. Um, the, the grant is a goodwill gesture from the MOD to the village of Gebden where they have Culver Barracks. Um, Councillor Jones will know about between the Army, uh, the MOD, and the community. And it's on that basis that the grant was obtained and given. Um, I, I think you ought to know that Devden Parish Council is the custodian trustee of the Village Hall Trust. So if anything goes wrong with the Village Hall Trust as a charity, then the Parish Council are the, the ones that carry the can. And it was a consortium that put together this application to the MOD. The, um, the then CO uh, was party to this, others were party to it, John Mitchell, uh, Village Hall Trust and the Parish Council all signed up to this. So there's a lot hanging on it. There's, there has been serious problems because of two charities being involved. One is the Village Hall Trust, and their hall sits on the ground, which is responsibility of the Recreation Ground Trust, uh, where the Parish Council are also custodian trustees on that. And I'm afraid that the steering group, the Ebden New Village Hall Group, have been chasing round the Charity Commission, trying to tie up loose ends for years and years and years, plus the planning and plus the money. Now, Devon Parish Council was reluctant to incur costs for the residents on the precept, but they have had a, um, a consultation with the village and they have authority to borrow £400,000 to go with this money uh, so that they can go ahead and build the hall. So I understand that there are assurances that the money is there for the hall now. Um, there's another uh, issue that comes up here in that a media mediator that was brought in um, decided that the new hall should be put where the present uh, pavilion is. So it gets a bit complicated. Um, I checked with the Parish Council and the Village Hall Trust um, on progress uh, last week, and I checked this morning. Um, 
that was the reason why the parish council chairman was coming here. Uh, we didn't know that John French was not going to be here tonight to answer questions, but we hoped to be open, uh, they would be able to be open and accountable with you this evening and clear up any questions that you have. Um, I pray that they will start work soon, and I'm being told January now, I'm afraid, Adrian. Um, I would like to be, as the ward uh, representative, in touch with the uh, grant provider so that I can work with them, and I would offer um, Councillor Jones involvement in this as the Covenant representative from UDC, and I think the pair of us need to get our heads together with our Chief Executive and the grant provider to make sure that we can satisfy uh, Councillor Khan's uh, inquiries. Now, uh, whether you want to put a deadline on that, I don't know when the Chief Executive is putting, coming back, but I am ready to sit down with Councillor Jones and uh, the Chief Executive to see where we are and engage with the grant provider to clear up this mess. We've got, we've got a report from the uh, Chief Executive here, which admits there has been error. I accept that report personally, uh, and I'm pleased that they're good enough to uh, outline the lessons learnt here. And I think that, yes, uh, Councillor Khan has made the point, and it was entirely right that he did that, uh, and we're going to sort it out, led by our chairman. Thank you. Councillor, uh, Councillor Thank you, Councillor Locke. That actually answers most of what I was going to ask, so that was useful. But one thing that I just want to get clear in my own head, um, the mistakes were made in 2017, is that right, Adrian? No, the, the mistake was made in 2015 initially, which was when the money was handed over. Um, I think what Donna said out in the report was there was an opportunity in 2017, at some point in 2017, I read it, where we could have, where we identified that mistake and we could have requested the money back. I think the reason given in the report is that we did not want to confuse um, the public or indeed the grant provider that it looked like this was going to fail by asking for the money back from the village hall. Now, whether that is satisfactory reason or not, you will form your own opinion, but I think that is what Dawn said in the report. We might get to say where it was. Also, Adrian, the sound of political factor has been moved a long way to make. But I have no idea. I've I, I not been involved in this really until February of this year. The reason I'm saying that is. Uh, I can't understand why, um, I mean, I'm, I'm just, like my own mind, I was there, you know, but, but not following it as closely, I wasn't a committee involved, but that, um, of course, talks were going along as well, quite separately, although being talked about at the same time, up 
mixed up. There was no mix-up on these. There was no requirement of one doing another. There was nothing like that. They were separate applications and separate processes. Then if it went, uh, a lot of people feel, uh, or, it, or it muddied the waters, but um, I'm, I'm, I, I really, at this stage, we just want to make sure that Councillor Locke's uh, ward gets the thing built and nobody loses out of this. This is what really matters now at this stage. But um, anyway, thank, thanks for clarifying that, Adrian. Right, so I think we're in a situation that there is a view that this should be, and it has been proposed by Councillor Driscoll and seconded by Councillor Khan, that we should have, defer this item until the next meeting on Calgary. Is that, is that accepted? No, I'm against that. Sorry? Councillor Jones, I'm against that, Chair. Sorry. So, so my, I, I think I think something should come before beforehand because what you're actually saying on the night that the accounts are going to be passed, um, an explanation is going to be given. That's not good. That's not good, is it? I'm happy to change the proposal to a different date. Um, I just feel that we should defer the yeah. the thing. Although we've probably said all there is to say on it, but well, it would, would be nice. Uh, to have the CEO give us a take on it. But Councillor Luck was saying there was going to be a meeting between he, Debden and he and uh, the army, or the, not, not the army, the, the trust, the army trust. I think what Councillor Luck said was he'd be happy to attend the meeting uh, along with Councillor Jones and the Covenant fund, if we could arrange it, and I'll, I'll, I'm quite happy to talk to Councillor Luck and Jones tomorrow and um, see how we could take that forward if that's, if that's uh, an option. Uh, uh, Adrian, are you happy? It's all done on the same night on the practice, or would you rather have it talked about beforehand? I don't think it's really up, up to me. I've, I've made my best attempt, Councillor Foley, to provide you with the answers if you don't feel I've given you enough detail then clearly it's, it's going to be a case of wait for the chief executive. Yeah, well, I, I understand it. I'm not wanting to make it any worse. I'm just trying to understand how you felt about it. Uh, Councillor Jones, followed by Councillor Isham, followed by Councillor Khan, had their hands up in that order. Jones, and then Councillor Isham, and then Councillor Khan. Thank you, Chair. Two different points here. You can obviously tonight note the report written by the, the chief exec. Um, and also then obviously then we need to obviously make it more information concerning the liability that the council folks, I think that's what Councillor Khan is concerned about. Um, I'm more than happy to agree with that to be honest because I would be concerned about it and the ramifications of that liability. But that's a completely separate matter and if it's, if it's going to be tying down the accounts then obviously it would be probably better to have a meeting prior to the 30th of November, otherwise the 30th of November meeting could last all night potentially. So, um, so, just really to note that, Chair, that really tonight is to, to note the report by the Chief Executive. But obviously, what Councillor Khan is detailing, and also um, Councillor Driscoll, is probably a separate matter which can be discussed at a separate meeting. Adrian, can I ask when the Chief Executive is back? Uh, I don't know. 
dissatisfied than everybody else. So, but um, but that's my own individual. Um, we are concerned about it as well. I mean, the, the committee. We are we are we are deeply concerned about it. Yes. Okay, Chris, did you get that? Now, Chris Gibson. Hello, Chris Gibson. You still there? Are we, are we are we going with concern or are we going with dissatisfaction? We are going with concern. That, that's fine, Chair. So, got that. so if, if, would you like to read it back so everybody's happy with it and then we will, we'll have a vote if needed? As I understand it, the, the, the report will be noted, it, but it, um, sorry, it, it's received, but the committee have concerns with what we have heard tonight. Um, you could, re there was reference to thanking um, Mr. Webb along the way. Uh, however, there's a, a, a need to have a, a further meeting prior to the accounts sign-off. With the chief executive. With the chief executive. Is that agreed by everybody? I see thumbs up all round. Except from Councillor Carl. <laughs> I know. Okay. Is anybody against? Apart. I don't want that. that. <laughs> Chair, do you want me to call a register on that? Yes, please. Or a second. I hope somebody's got a second. I thought Councillor Burley might be seconding. I'll second that. I, I think I think Councillor Cannon might be just splitting hairs. We do have we, there, there's nothing wrong with the actual core. We've concerns with the detail. That's yes. That's I'm with you on that, Councillor Foley. I think if we're going to say concern, we need to be clear about why we are concerned. That's we're not very long agenda. I think, I think we can go with the original thing that I'm seconding then, yes? Yeah. Well, we need to be clear that we are concerned about the lack of gov followed governance processes. We just can't say that we're concerned. We have to give a reason why we're concerned.